Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another Saturday, another road game, and another win for second-ranked Notre Dame, which leads us to another Sunday edition of Pot of Gold Extra Point. My name is Tom Noy, Notre Dame insider for the South Bend Tribune, joined as usual on this Sunday morning by my South Bend Tribune and the insider colleague, Carter Carls. Carter, I have a rant, a semi-rant. Or, a, or, or, a, or, or an analogy to what Notre Dame went through on Saturday in beating Boston College 45-31. But before we get to that, let's hear your biggest takeaway from Notre Dame moving to 8-0 and, more importantly, still in first place in the Atlantic Coast Conference at 7-0. My biggest takeaway was just the leap that Ian Book and his wide receivers continue to make. I mean – you look through the first four games of, of the season and the wide receivers are barely productive. 26 catches, 329 yards, two touchdowns. Well, in these last four games, they've bumped that up to 45 catches, 70, 759 yards, seven touchdowns. And Ian Book has been right there with them. Uh, you've seen the emergence of Avery Davis. He's been bringing the speed to this Notre Dame wide receiving core. Javon McKinley become a lot more consistent and become a much more reliable target. And then Ben Skoranek, what he has done leading this team with five touchdowns, uh, receiving, and and being more of a red zone threat. I think the red zone had been an issue for them all season. They got their stuff together yesterday, and Ian Book, best passer efficiency rating, rating against a Power 5 opponent his entire career. You could just see, you know, the downfield passing game, the red zone, the third down, all of it was clicking. And on a night where they didn't have a ton from Kyron Williams, where he didn't play for a good chunk of the game, uh, and they weren't really using Michael Mayer a ton, it was the receivers that really stood out to me. And I think that's huge for this offense. Biggest revelation this year, as we kind of go on uh, off on a side note, as we tend to do on this podcast, biggest revelation as a receiver, Javon McKinley or Avery Davis? Got to be Avery Davis. I mean, mm-hmm. Javon McKinley, he came into Notre Dame with huge expectations, was a top 100 recruit. Uh, he, he always had the big body. He always was a wide receiver. And it was, it was just a matter of opportunity for him and being consistent. And so by, by the time it was this year, it was like, well, it better happen because um, this has been something that, that was like a, one, like, like a long time coming. But Avery Davis, this truly came out of nowhere. I mean, uh, again, you, you consider the position switches. He arrived from Cedar Hill as a quarterback at Notre Dame. 
in, I believe, the 2016 recruiting class, uh, 2017, and uh, changed all these positions. He was a quarterback. He was a running back. He was a cornerback, wide receiver now. And, you know, to have the ability to run routes and find the soft spot of the defense, catch passes, that's something that takes – you know, some time to learn. And he has picked it up so quickly and made the most of this opportunity. And then just the speed aspect that he brings to the game. I think speed had been vertically had been missing from this Notre Dame wide receiving core. And he has filled that void. And so I think he is the revelation because no one expected this from him at any point in his career. We've seen that Ian Book has developed a rapport with Ben Skoranek. He's got a confidence in looking for the former Northwestern wide receiver, especially in the red zone. But I think now, I think Ian Book now feels like he can go to all three of those guys in a tight situation, whether it's Skoranek near the goal line, whether it's Javon McKinley, Avery Davis on the crossing route. So he is building that confidence, and it's so nice to sit here on November 15th and we're eight games into the season and we're not regurgitating and rehashing week to week about what's wrong with the wide receivers and how much they miss Kevin Austin and when's Lawrence Keyes going to be featured more and what's happening with Jordan Johnston and why he's not playing. Like those three guys have become legit options in an offense that goes for 561 yards on the road and, and, and nobody, nobody really kind of, nobody even, like gives it a second thought anymore. Like, oh yeah, Skorana caught three touchdown passes. Avery Davis, two catches, 70 yards. Javon McKinley, five for 48. Another 500 plus effort. Like, it's no big deal. It's, it's, it's finally nice to see this position so settled after there was so much uncertainty in September and a good chunk of October. Yeah, and like we saw big games from Javon McKinley earlier this year and a couple games last year, but it was never like a sustained effort. Avery Davis, mm-hmm. he'd have one game last year where he'd have a 60-yard touchdown on an end around, but it was he was just more of a gadget player. Ben Skoranek had the hamstring injury that lingered, uh, you know, earlier this season from the season opener against Duke. We didn't know what to make of him uh, because he didn't really make an impact until game five. Uh, against Pittsburgh where he had the two touchdowns and so it was just like a matter of these three receivers finally getting that rapport with Ian Book finally settling into their roles and I think like this team it's like it's incomparable to the team in September because they've just taken such a leap offensively that you're not as much worried about, oh, well, is Book going to throw for 80 yards today? Or, oh, are these wide receivers going to score a touchdown today? Like, that used to be an issue where, like, there was just no production at all. But that that's not a worry. And, in fact, it's almost become a strength for this team where on third down, they can go to Javon McKinley. In the red zone, they can go to Ben Skoranek. These are featured guys now. They're not just serviceable. And – uh I thought the red zone development was probably the biggest thing that came from the game. Uh, Vince Karanik, I mean, and Ian Book touched on this a little bit in the post game, but the kid is way, way more athletic than you think, just with his ability to, to leap in the air and come down with these 50-50 balls. Um, 
I mean, I don't know if I was really expecting that, just his ability to, to catch balls in traffic. That's what's kind of stood out to me with him. Then you have McKinley, who does a lot of the same thing, where he, he's catching passes with, with uh, you know, guys in his face. And then to have those two guys mixed with Avery Davis, who gives you the speed, the yards after the catch, it gives you a great balance for this offense. You look at what this offense has done the last couple of weeks, and now it's almost like routine that they're going to go for 45 points. They, they hung 47 on Clemson, 45 at Michigan, and then now or at Pittsburgh, 45 now again at Boston College. And we, we look at the wide receivers. We, we, we talk often about what, what guys like Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, yesterday, Sebo Flemister before he hurt his leg. Hopefully that's not serious because it looked like Sebo Flemister took his game to another level on Saturday. We talk about all these guys, but I think what's making this all work for this offense right now is the quarterback. Like Ian Book, there's something about Ian Book since that last drive where he absolutely had to have it against Clemson where they went – down when it went 91 yards late to tie the game to where, you know, what does he do yesterday? 20 of 27, 283 yards. You mentioned his passer rating, 198.8. Like Ian Book has been the difference for this football team the last couple of weeks. And, and, and I don't think he's ever played better in his career. That's saying something for a guy who's 28 and three as a starter. I think the biggest thing for me with Book was I think he used to, he had this tendency of scrambling and running mm-hmm. when that wasn't the best option for him. That he would dance around in the pocket, he'd get happy feet. It's almost like he would give the play two seconds and say, all right, I'm running. But he has turned that into a strength. We have really seen him use his legs this year. We've even seen some designed runs against Clemson. But the biggest thing was he's using his scrambling ability that you know that quick that quick agility to extend plays now and to find guys down the field. I I, I recall the the second touchdown from Skoranek. Skoranek was was running you know from the left side of the field to the middle of the field, mm-hmm. and then Ian Book kind of danced out of the pocket and and scrolled out to his left, and then Skoranek just completely broke his route. He was like, "Oh, Book's going to the left, so I'm just going to go to the left." And so he completely turned around and, you know, the defender was running with him. And so when he turned around, he was able to get separation, book hits him, 13-yard touchdown, easy money. That doesn't happen if book doesn't extend the play and right. use his legs to, to go out to the left and find Skoranek on the, kind of an impro- improvisation. That was not just a design play. That was completely improv from, from what it appeared. That is an example of Ian Book using his legs, extending plays, and, and, and just using that ability to his advantage. Whereas in the past, I think he used it as a disadvantage. I think there was way too much where he would just get happy feet. Um, I, I don't know if I see that anymore. Now, he still has an issue sometimes missing wide open wide receivers down the field. There were definitely a few times on Saturday where you go, oh my gosh, Michael Mayer was wide open. <laughs> but but for the most part, he's not putting this offense in a bad position by, you know, getting the happy feet and, and all that. Another thing is he doesn't turn the ball over. He's got right. one interception this year. 
And he is on a crazy pace right now with, with how many consecutive uh, pass attempts he's had with, without an interception. I believe it's uh, 155. Which yeah, is, it's somewhere in 150s they mentioned on Saturday. Yeah, and that's second most in Notre Dame history besides, uh, besides uh, Brady Quinn. So to be that efficient and not turn the ball over uh, through the air is, is huge. A lot of this is Ian Book, but I think a lot of it also so is where this offense is right now under first-year coordinator Tommy Reese. Like this is, I think this is an offense that's really starting to figure out what I what its identity is and some of the things that it can do. Like the screen pass to Sebo Flemister out of the backfield yesterday picks up 27 yards. That was a huge play. Like I can't remember, I can't recall off the top of my head any any similar plays like that under former coordinator Chip Long. Like they. Tommy Reese just seems like he's more dialed in as to what he wants to do, what this offense wants to do, what his quarterback wants and can do. Whereas with Chip Long, he had this great reputation as a play caller, and he's dialing this up, and they're going to run this, and they're going to do that. And we, we kind of never saw that during his, his time here at Notre Dame. Whereas Tommy Reese right now, I think he's in a heck of a, a, a good spot calling plays and knowing what he can call and what he can't in relation to the personnel that he has. Yeah. I think for the most part, you know, there's been some growing pains here and there, but I think Tommy Reese has exceeded expectations and certainly he adopted a, some really good personnel to, to use, but um, yeah, I, I like what I'm seeing. And certainly there's a lot of plays that you can point to. Oh, that's a good play call or wow. That was a, a really interesting design um there have yeah, been like it, it just looks there are a lot of things that just look different that we haven't seen Ryan yeah. and tommy tremble up in the backfield as a blocker like when, when trembles in the backfield you know they're going to get the ball to see bill flemister you know he's going to follow tommy tremble i don't know how much of that we saw with, with chip long chip long was was more apt to to be yelling at tommy tremble on the practice field than finding ways to get him on the field right yeah and i think when you look at this offense personnel-wise, a lot of hard decisions had to be made this year. You saw a mm-hmm. running back where they flipped the depth chart, basically. Kyron Williams yep. never played in his life, for the most part. Chris Tyree never played in college. Uh, and Sebo Flemister hardly played in college. And he was like sixth string last year. Like, Sebo Flemister's yeah. – when Sebo Flemister goes down, Kyron Williams, I know they, I, I, he, he kind of got dinged, but Brian Kelly said post game that it's not that serious. Kyron was in at the end when, when they were taking a knee. So, but it was on Saturday, it was almost like they, they needed Siebel Flemister to do what he did because Kyron Williams was hurt. They didn't really, I don't know if they really wanted to feature Chris Tyree a lot. He had that fumble earlier in the game, but they turned to Siebel Flemister. He gives them 10 carries for 53 yards and two touchdowns. He was a guy that everybody looked at probably at the start of the year and was like, yeah, he's not going to do anything. Like forget it. Yeah. I mean, the same thing was said about the wide receivers. Uh, this was an easy decision, but Michael Mayer making him the featured guy. Uh, there was just like a lot of guys that are contributing this year that weren't a thing last year. And I think it was going to take some time to settle in and, and gel. And now you're seeing that. Um, and to see that improve in books game and the overall offense, I think is, is great for the outlook of this offense. And yeah, when you, when you talk about the identity, uh, another thing about this team's, this offense's identity is, you know, they, they want to 
uh, run teams over. They want to establish and impose their will on their opponents. I think of that Sebo Flemister play. He was not going to go out of bounds. He was going to no. stay in bounds and absolutely punish those guys for even thinking about tackling him. And, you know, you see all the trash talking during the game. They had three personal foul uh, penalties. <laughs> three unsportsmanlike conducts. Yeah, yeah, unsportsmanlike conducts. And Tommy Trimble, I mean, him as a blocker, the guy just absolutely punishes guys as a blocker. That is kind of the identity to me is that these guys, they, have, they play with an edge now. Uh, ben Skoranek, after his touchdown, just basically flexed on the guy, got an unsportsmanlike conduct. And they threw the flag on him. The ref's standing right there. You know, like, I don't know. I think uh, Notre Dame has always had this reputation of being the nice guy and we're going to play a certain way, we're going to act a certain way. What but did Brian Kelly say about being a nice guy? He's tired of being the nice guy. And I think you've seen that with this team this year. Like, Sebo Flemister, that run, that basically was a microcosm of this team this year where it was just, just you know – they're going to run guys over and they're going to tell them about it, which I think if you're a football fan, I think you like that a lot more than the golf clap style where you're thanking opponents for um, playing a good game. You'd rather um, trash talk and, and uh, <laughs> lower your shoulder. Right. So I think that's a cool and thing. And give them something to think about the next time you're coming their direction. Absolutely. Before we dive deeper into Notre Dame's 45-31 victory Saturday over Boston College out in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, let's bring in a third member of the Yendi Insider team. Tyler James is going to tell us about Coors Light. These days, it seems like life forces us to be on all the time. But every now and then, it's important to stop and reset. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. So make sure your refrigerator is stocked with Coors Light when the Fighting Irish are playing or when you're watching any game. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind, like when the work is done and the game is on. So when life forces are go, 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 take a moment to chill with the Coors Light. Have it delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Back on the Pot of Gold Extra Point with Carter Carls. My name is Tom Noy. Okay, we talked a lot about what we liked on Saturday. There was a lot that, Mike, or that, that Brian Kelly and his players believe they need to clean up. But you know what? I'll draw this analogy, being an NBA guy, and it's only a coincidence, Carter, it's only a coincidence that I'm on vacation this week with the NBA draft coming on Wednesday, even though I usually take that week off in the summertime. But here's my NBA analogy for what we saw from Notre Dame. They win 45-31, never really in doubt. Like, they're up 31-17 at half. They extended that. They could have scored over 50 if they wanted to punch in that last touchdown. But this Notre Dame game against Boston College, people can say they had too many penalties, they fumbled too much, they weren't disciplined. For this game, for Notre Dame, it was kind of like a, a, a two-week, the end of a two-week NBA road trip where they're playing four games in five nights. They're playing some bad teams, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, 
Boston College. Oh, you, you throw Clemson in there. So it's like you're playing the Lakers, the Phoenix Suns, uh, whoever else, the Bulls and, and the Cleveland Cavaliers in that stretch to where you see the end of the road. Like, you know, after this game, if you're from an NBA standpoint, you know, you're going home. It's a road. It's another road game. They've been on the road three of the last four weeks. You know, you're going home after this. You know, you've got to buy. You're, you're trying to concentrate on final exams that are coming up this week. You're going to have a break. This was just one of those where you just go and take care of business. Like, you just win. It was never in doubt. You play like the number two team. At the end of a long road swing, you know you're getting the break. Just get through it. Win 45-31. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to clean up. But just take for a minute where this, what this team has been through for the last month. Like I said, three of the last four on the road. And the home game was a double overtime game against the defending national champions. So to come out of this the way they did, there's a lot to clean up. But this still... You're 8-0 and 7-0 in the league, and I think that's that's the biggest takeaway, not the fact that they had so many fumbles or, or personal foul penalties. I would agree. I mean, I think you just consider the last 11 days with the election, Clemson, <laughs> Boston College. I mean, that is a lot to process and a lot of emotions to, to kind of carry. Uh, final exams coming up this week, and, you know, no, Brian Kelly made the point that they've already finished – a Big Ten schedule. They have already they played eight games. Like, like if, if we were sitting here on Labor Day weekend and we're just hanging out doing a pot of gold extra point, what were the what 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 odds would you have given this program of, of even getting to the eight game mark? Because when we did our preseason uh, predictions for our, for our, our our magazine, actually it was just like an insert. We really didn't do a magazine this year because of COVID. I didn't think it, there was there was any way that this this program was going to get to eight games this right in the regular season, and here we are. I know, and I mean, think about it. They arrived in late June. They had had no. They had had one spring practice. Just from a conditioning standpoint, basically from March to June, they were given a bunch of uh, resistance bands, and a lot of people made gyms in their garage, uh, and and had to do body workouts. To stay in shape, I mean, uh, and have that discipline, it's very difficult uh, to just be in that D1 shape. And, and then to go from that in June to, hey, you're going to be playing this many games as usual. You're going to be playing mm-hmm. 11, 12, 13 games this season. That is extremely difficult. They need this bye week. On the flip side, you had a Boston College team that was playing with a lot of emotion, a lot of revenge. <laughs> Uh, we'll we'll Stop. talk about in a minute with with Stop with the revenge. Yeah, and well, but but the fact remains that they were playing with a lot of emotion. This is their Super Bowl, the Holy War, all that. So for Notre Dame to come out and take care of business was huge. They win by fourteen points, but really it felt more like a twenty-five point win kind of thing to me. So I thought, you know, yes, uh, I am concerned with the fumbles. I am concerned with the defense, but for the most part. They took care of business, and they took they, – they improved in areas that you'd like to see, like the wide receivers, the passing game, Ian Book, and all those sort of things. You're concerned about the defense, but Brian Kelly hinted at this last week when we met with him through the Zoom calls that he kind of backed off them with them in practices throughout the week because 
that Clemson game, uh, I mean, let's be honest, that took a lot out of them, and especially took a lot out of them defensively, whether it was their legs, their energy, their overall collective spirit. Like, that was hard. That was a hard game, and it went late into the night. It ended close to midnight last Saturday, and then you have to turn around and get get ready for one more week of class, get ready for one more game before the bye week. Like, it, it, it was obvious that these guys had some tired legs out there at Alumni Stadium on Saturday. But again, this team is different in the fact that they were able to fight through that and rotate some different guys and some more guys uh, defensively to kind of of work through that. And at the end of the day, Boston College still only rushed for 85 yards. Yeah, they threw for 272 and finished with 357. But this was one of those games where, especially defensively, just take those numbers, say, yeah, we got to get better, let's get some rest, and let's get ready for North Carolina. Yeah, my worry isn't as much about what they're going to do the rest of the regular season. Now, I do think North Carolina's offense puts up a lot of points. Mm -hmm. My worry is about, okay, if they give up this many points to Boston College, what's it going to look like to against Clemson and with Trevor Lawrence? And then, you know – I don't don't know. I don't know if the, the quarterback the quarterback that played against them when they played Clemson, he, he was pretty good. He was pretty good yeah. that night as he did. Was, he was pretty good, but uh, I'll also say we act like Clemson's the best team in the country sometimes, but Ohio State and Alabama, their offenses are even better than Clemson. And if you're going to try to make a playoff run, like those offenses are unstoppable. No one has been able to stop in Florida as well. If they were to make the, the – playoff I mean no one has been able to stop them so you would hope that this defense can get back to the 30 or fewer points a game that you know run that they were on they had held 31 out of 32 of their first 32 opponents uh under defensive coordinator Clark Lead under or to fit 34 30 points or fewer and and that was huge for this defense and I think they've you know uh I, I guess been a little gashed in the passing game the last couple of weeks, but I think, you know, improvement will come. I think they've got a true freshman corner and Clarence Lewis that is still figuring things out. I think at Buck linebacker, they're still kind of settling in into a, their rotation there. Um, and, and they've had, you know, to deal with injuries. They've had to deal with COVID and things like that. So I think, the the silver lining is they still have Jeremiah Wusukormo, they still have Kyle <laughs> Hamilton, and this D line is getting a lot of pressure. You know, it may not show up in the sacks, it may not always show up in the stats, but I I think just eye test wise, you see the pressure, you see the tackles for loss. The defensive line was having Phil Dracovic running around the pocket all night, and and the depth that's there is huge too. So I think that's a good thing. It's more of a pass coverage thing. I think that this, uh, that this team needs to uh, kind of shore up. Best defensive play on Saturday had to be your man, Jack Kaiser. Yeah. I mean, that, that was huge. Now he's a crazy stat for you. The linebackers have more interceptions this year than the defensive backs. How crazy is that? Who would have thought? I, you know what? I would, I would, I would take the linebackers if somebody offered me that in preseason because they're, they're, they're more athletic than we give them credit for. They'll drop in the pass coverage. 
And these DBs, they're they're good, but I wouldn't call them like ball hawks back there in the secondary. Yeah. Well, what's what's been like, I think disappointing for the DBs is they've had so many opportunities to get interceptions this year, and it just feels like yeah. they keep dropping them. Like I, I've seen Nick McLeod drop like three interceptions this year. I've seen Tariq Bracy drop a couple. We saw Kyle Hamilton drop one uh, yesterday against Boston College. Uh, where he was on his – or I guess – and then he had one, and it, that would have been a pick six. Um, that, yeah, that, that would have been a pick he, six. He, okay, I, what I'm thinking about is he had one that was uh, overturned by a penalty, and he had one that he dropped right. that would have been a pick six. Yeah, so that was, that was two opportunities. Um, but, you know, I, I still think that they are making plays. They're, they're getting past breakups. They're, they, they're, they do have good plays in coverage. There was a play – I recall from Clarence Lewis where they tried to do a rub route on him inside the 10 and he completely diagnosed it. He went behind the defender, behind the receiver and was able to be in the face of that receiver when Phil Dracovic went kind of on like a fade route to him. And for him to kind of diagnose that, that rub route right at the snap and, and not get, you know, collided with, with those two bodies uh, enabling the touchdown, I think that was pretty huge. So you see plays here and there where they're they're making the right plays, they're in the right place at the right time. It's just a matter of finishing. Uh, I think that was an issue last year we saw with like Troy Pride, where mm-hmm. you're like, man, just finish it, like turn around and knock it down or intercept it. Uh, and I think that same problem has lingered. But I like to think that there's optimism that with a true freshman corner and a new safety, I think they'll get there. I think it's a matter of time before they start making those plays. And we've seen them make a couple plays this year. So I, th- I think that's really where they unlock, unlock this next level for the defense. Jumping back to the offense real quick, as we wrap up this pot of gold, extra point talking Notre Dame 45, Boston college 31 ABC at the end of the telecast as they're going off the air mentions Ian book, and the word Heisman in the same sentence. Fair? I, I wouldn't go that far just yet. I think, you know, the schedule's been weak. He's, he's had one really good game against Clemson. But he's just not where Mac Jones and Justin Fields are from a statistical and eye test standpoint. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, these guys – He's just—he's not on their level yet. Um, but I don't know. I wasn't—I wasn't that impressed with Travis Etienne on Saturday last week. When, yeah, when, but by the end of the season, his stats and his what he's going to do is going to be nuts. That was like to him that was an anomaly. But but my thought is, Ian Book's been a great quarterback on one of the best teams in the country. So of course he's going to be in the Heisman conversation. But whether that's legitimate and whether he gets invited to New York. We'll have to see because when you just – I think statistically he's not going to be there with a Mac Jones who's going to be throwing four touchdowns and 300-plus yards every single week. Yeah, Heisman Heisman contender, I would say that's a little bit of a stretch. Heisman consideration, given the fact that Notre Dame is the number two team in the country, they're 8-0, they're first place in the ACC, and you're basically playing the most scrutinized position in college football. Like, I don't know how much, how much scrutiny uh, I, people look at Mac Jones or they look at Justin Fields and, and they say, 
yeah, but what about the quarterback next year? Like, what, what are we doing quarterback-wise next year? Like, playing quarterback at Notre Dame is 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to the point where Ian Book has said, yeah, I, I just scrub my Twitter. I'm off social media, and I think that's good. Just, you know, lock in and do what he does, and we're seeing the way he's been able to play the last couple of weeks. But contender, no. Consideration, hey, it's Notre Dame. And as, as long as Notre Dame's the number two team in the country and they're undefeated, you have to give it at least a little consideration and say, yeah, that quarterback's pretty good. Now, he may not be elite like the Trevor Lawrence's and the Mac Jones, but he's been really good. Right. Overall, want to get your take on the whole broadcast, Phil Jakovic, the whole storyline. You know what? We went, we went 31 minutes without mentioning Phil Jakovic. 31 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's good for Notre Dame. Like, there's <laughs> – that shows that, that they did a pretty good job uh, in bottling him up and, uh, and doing well offensively. But, yeah, overall, like, I think a lot of fans, a lot of people were just tired of hearing the storylines. Um, right. I, I kind of understand it because the casual fan doesn't know. Like, what casual fan who's just watching the game uh, is going to know the full story behind Phil Jerkovic coming to Notre Dame and not playing and being this highly touted recruit? Uh, uh, you know, if a Purdue fan is watching the game, are they going to know the whole background? If a, if a like a Florida State fan is watching the game, is he going to know the, the whole background? I don't know. So I kind of understood some of that, um, but but then it got to a point where it was like like Ian Book completes a 15 yard pass, and then they're like, oh. Well, Phil Jakovic would have been uh, completing that pass even better. And I'm like, okay, like this is getting ridiculous. So I thought it was – I kind of – I saw both sides where it was frustrating, but they also kind of needed to talk about it a little bit. They did to an extent, but I think they it went way overboard in the fact that this was never a situation like, say, Malik Zaire, who was the actual starter at Notre Dame and then gets hurt and loses his job and never gets that job back. Like Phil Jakovic – Phil Jerkovic never really played a game or played a down that mattered in his Notre Dame career. He was always going to be the future guy. And I think that was laid out to him to where I, I, I still can't understand some of the revisionist history of, of him saying he never got a fair shot. Like you're behind a guy that right now is 28 and three as a starter. There, I don't know if there was ever a time during the during Jerkovic's days in South Bend where you looked at it and said, maybe Notre Dame, like, Take, take the Georgia game in Athens last year. Does Notre Dame win that game if Phil Jakovic's the quarterback? Or the game up in Ann Arbor in the rain and the wind and, and the weather conditions? Do they win that game with Phil Jakovic at quarterback? Like, Jakovic knew the situation when he was at Notre Dame. Like, I'm going to sit behind Ian Book, and then this is my show. Like, next year it would have been Phil Jakovic for reasons that, that he didn't want to wait. It's, and, and that's, I mean, that's the way it is today with kids. They're more impatient than patient with the plan and the process. But to constantly see the camera shots of Jakovic and talking about, you know, the, oh, here comes here comes Sean Crawford. He's laying the wood on his former teammate. Like yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if if Phil, Phil Jakovic was a big rallying cry in the locker room of the Goog this week. Yeah, I don't know either. But the only thing I'll caution is I think. I think it's easy to get caught up in the moment, the recency bias, and say, see, this proved that 
Ian Book is a far better quarterback, and la, 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 la. he still has two more years of eligibility. Yeah, he can make very impressive plays. They're going to build this offense around him. By the end of his career, there he certainly could be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I truly believe that he's already mm-hmm. leading the ACC in passing. I think he still has a long way to go, but he also has two years left to go. So I just would caution from saying, oh, he's trash. And uh, I mean, let's just remember Georgia's situation a couple of years ago. They picked Jake Fromm, and it looked to be the right decision because, wow, Fromm was kill- killing it. He brought them to a championship game. He was playing really well as a, as a freshman. And then a few, a few years later, we find out, oh, wait, this Justin Fields kid is incredible. Now, Fromm never gave a reason for Fields to see the field, but to lose him, I think, was was the big thing. Now, Jerkovic, I think uh, not playing him was the right decision by Notre Dame, but losing him was the big thing. Had they found out a way to keep him, or they had, had they found a way to develop him to a level where they felt content, maybe it was a Chip Long situation where he just wasn't feeling that offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. But I think, you know, both things can be true that they made the right decision to roll with Ian Book, who is 28 and three as a starter now. However, they should have found a way to keep Dracovic happy and keep him on the team. And it may bite them in a couple of years where Notre Dame next is year. experienced. Next year. Notre Dame's going to be an experienced quarterback next year whereas Dracovic is going to potentially be a rock star. So that's the only thing I'll caution is that, yes, it's the right decision, but it could sting in a couple of years or even next year. Short answer. We talk about next year. Notre Dame is going to open the season going to Tallahassee, Bill Campbell Stadium, to open the year on Labor Day weekend. Who's the quarterback in Notre Dame? What I've said the last few months and what I will say for the time being is Brendan Clark. You're going the safe route, huh? My reason for Brendan Clark over Tyler Buckner is I think he is is more talented than people think. Uh, I think he – and I think it's just more of a matter of Tyler Buckner's not going to play his senior year and still has a lot of mechanical things to work through. I think Buckner is going to be the better quarterback. And long-term, I think his potential is out of this world crazy. Uh, this kid, if you haven't watched his, his tape, I mean, he can do things that no Notre Dame quarterback has ever been able to do when it comes to off-platform throws and just these, this off-kilter style of his. Um, but I think year one, the guy that gives you the best chance to win is Brendan Clark, so that's why I think he'll win the starting job. So much for a short answer, my man. I know. You know me. I can't do a short answer. (laughs) Okay, here's a short answer. Best part of the bye week from Carter Carl's standpoint is what? How are you going to spend the bye week? I'm going on vacation. Probably just sleep. There you go. (laughs) That's the best part, you know, not having to wake up early or go to bed late. Although I probably still will. Yes, you will. Things. (laughs) 
All right. Enjoy your bye week. He's Carter Carls. He's going to bed for the week. My name's Tom Noy. I'm going to go out and rake some leaves, get some exercise. We'll be back in two weeks for another edition of Pot of Gold Extra Point talking Notre Dame and North Carolina. The Irish moved to 8-0, 7-0 in the ACC with a 45-31 victory over Boston College on Saturday. That'll do it. Enjoy your week.